our, 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 our scripture for this morning is pretty short. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's it. Actually, we're going to leave that last part off, but I didn't want to cut Jesus off there before he got to the period. Uh, so, the, but the, what we want to focus on today is that the church is a community of people who take up their crosses. Now, that, that may seem weird to us, and what makes it even a little bit more weird is that this Jesus hasn't yet disclosed to his disciples how he is going to die. This is the first hint at what is coming for him, and they probably don't get it. Right? Why would they? Right? They're expecting, some of them still expecting Jesus to rule as a Messiah king. So for him to mention the cross here, they may not have picked up on it. But the imagery wouldn't have been lost on them. Because when, some, when somebody would have said, whether it would have been Jesus or anybody else, made a reference to a cross, immediately to those people who lived before, during, and after this first century time that we're looking at, public, public execution would have came to their mind. And that's what that was for them. That's what a cross was. It wasn't something that they wore around their necklace on their, on their necklace. It wasn't something that they had on stage. It was a symbol. It was a means of execution. Uh, and, and public execution may seem barbaric <laughs> to us, but it's something that's a part of our not-so-distant past. Our history is littered with the use and abuse of public execution. Now, I don't think there's anybody in here who would fit this, but if you happen to be 85 years, five months, three days, and two days old, you were alive during the last public execution by hanging in this country. Eighty-five plus years ago, a man convicted of a crime was marched from the, the jail through a parking lot to gallows that were constructed just for this purpose. And he met his end there. 20,000 plus people showed up to watch this person make that final walk. 20,000 people. Now, as, as I was reading and just looking for, 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 for more information and just sort of following rabbits for a while, I found out that if you were just a little bit younger than that, 82 years old, that you would have been alive during the last public execution by guillotine. Okay? Not quite as big a crowd, but still thousands of people showed up to watch this execution. And afterwards, it wasn't the graphic nature of this death, but it was the unruly behavior of the crowd. The, what I read was the hysterical behavior of the crowd that could not be contained because of the hooping and the hollering in favor of celebrating the death of this person. 20,000, thousands celebrating that. Now, regardless of, of what we think about the idea of public execution and, and what, that, uh, what feelings may well up inside of us, it's part of our not-so-distant past. 85 years ago, 
It's also part of our way off in the distance past. Because you see, public execution was practiced quite a bit when Matthew chapter 16 was going on. For them, or for us, it was hangings or the guillotine. For the people in our scripture today, it was the cross. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, that is the image that would have popped in to their head. Crucifixion was most frequently used to punish political and religious agitators, pirates, slaves, those who had no civil rights whatsoever. After the guilty verdict was handed down, the convicted was typically given a period of time to get things right, to say goodbye to his family and to his friends. And after that period was over, the condemned person was was whipped or scourged, and and then he was attached to the crossbeam of the cross that he would be executed on. And he would have to he would have to navigate this through the jeering crowds that showed up to witness his execution. When he arrives at the place, he would have been he would have been stripped of his clothing if he hadn't been already in further whipped, and then he was bound to that cross in a more secure way, often by quite frequently by nails through the wrists. And after he was attached there, he would have been attached to the vertical piece. And his body would have been on display above the ground for all to see this obstacle of shame. And the feet would have been tied securely to the, to, to the cross or nailed to the cross. And over their heads would have been his name and the crime that he was found guilty of. Now, if there was a sense of mercy in all of this, it was the fact that they could take a club and they could break the legs of the person being executed so that no longer he could push up to relieve the tension and be able to take a breath. So to speed up death, a club could be used to break the legs so that suffocation, asphyxiation would happen faster. That is what the image of a cross would bring to bear. That's the image that would have resonated with the disciples when Jesus said, take up your cross. And can you imagine some time later when they actually see Jesus on the cross and that wave of emotion that floods over them when they remember the words that Jesus said to them, if you want to follow after me, you have to take up your cross. Because that's how, exactly how Jesus was executed. That's exactly how the king of kings was murdered. He was found guilty, but he wasn't given any time because he was rushed immediately into the continuation of his death sentence. They they stripped him of his clothes. They mocked him as the king of the Jews. They dressed him as a pretend emperor by throwing a purple cloak upon him. They fashioned a crown of thorns out of his head and put them on his head. They gave him a scepter, which was nothing more than a reed, probably one that was used to beat him. They would blindfold him, and they would taunt him to prophesy, who hit you this time? Who hit you this time? They would take his scepter, and they would hit him on his head, driving the thorns further into his flesh. Now, 
they put the crossbar on his shoulders and set off to the place of execution. And while the exact route is still debated, and even the exact spot is still debated, even still debated, even though there's a temple built where people say that it is, it could have been a mile or more that Jesus carried that heavy beam on his beaten back to the place of his execution through crowds of jeering people. Now, there may have been some, some, I'm sure there were some people there who had seen Jesus do some amazing things and came to see who they knew was the Savior. There could have been some people there who heard him preach some powerful lessons who came to get one final glimpse. I imagine Peter peeking out from somewhere along that route to see the one he had just denied carrying the cross on his back. And he navigated through that crowd. There was one man there named Simon from Cyrene, which is down in northern Africa. He was there with his family because he was pulled from his two sons and forced to carry the cross when it forced Jesus to the ground, and he was unable to carry it any further. And we will always remember the name, Simon of Cyrene, as somebody who carried the cross of Jesus Christ. When they arrive at Golgotha or Calvary, the place of the skull, he would have been laid down and fixed more permanently by nails driven through his wrists. And I don't want you to think 16 penny nails. I want you to think railroad spikes driven into the hands of our Savior. He would have been taken then and fixed on the, the vertical piece in his legs, nailed to the cross. And those nails in his feet would have been his only source of relief as he would push up to take a breath and then go back down. Force himself up to take a breath and then relax. They continued to taunt him uh, from the crowd. and the, 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 As he was hanging on the cross, above him was his sentence. He was guilty of proclaiming that he was king of the Jews. They tried to give him drink to de deaden the pain, but he said no. The soldiers came and checked out the two guys beside him, and they were still alive, so they broke their legs so that they would die before the Sabbath day arrived. And they went to do the same thing to Jesus, but they found out that he was already dead, thus fulfilling a prophecy that a bone wouldn't be broken. But just to make sure, one of the soldiers takes a sword and drives it into his side and outpours blood and water from the side of our Savior. He's taken down quickly. And because two believers, I believe believers, showed up, right, he was put in a borrowed tomb where he would stay but for three days. This was the image that would have flooded the minds of the apostles after they had seen Jesus hanging on a tree. Can you imagine seeing your, your leader the miracle worker, the teacher, the healer, hanging and dying on a tree. And this is the image that you have. This is the image that would have flooded their minds, and church, this is an image that should flood ours as well. Never should we dull what Jesus experienced on the cross of Calvary for us. Never should we water it down 
so that it's more stomachable to us. This is what Jesus endured for us. This was his instrument of death. But also, to carry a cross was a matter-of-fact indicator of where you were headed, of what was to come. Anyone carrying a cross was a dead man walking. Not only was your life as you knew it over, but very soon your very life would be over. You knew it. Everybody around you knew it. You knew where you were headed. Everybody knew where you were headed. To take up your cross meant something specific and gruesome and shameful and final to these first century readers and the audience who, who saw it. But for Jesus, he walked this to the tune of a different drummer. Because yes, he was bruised and he is beaten and he is tired and he is whipped and he is being disgraced. But scripture tells us that in that journey, he was able to look past the cross to something bigger, to something better. Hebrews 12 reminds us what that was. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. For him, it was a return to heaven, to return to the Father. It was a completion of the plan. It was redemption. He was able to look past what he knew was coming with joy because of what was on the other side. For the Apostle Paul, the cross would be the only thing that he would boast about. He says something like this over and over and over. I don't boast in myself. I only boast in the cross. Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, Paul wrote this. He said, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything or nor uncircumcision, uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And Paul said there's nothing else that matters but the cross. The world may think that the cross is silly, that the, the, the cross is, it, 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 it's shameful, that it's foolishness, or to use Paul's term, folly, but we know better because we know the rest of the story. Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For us, the cross becomes a place of victory. For there, Jesus did what we could not do on our own. What, what for generations and generations, men had been, and women and families had been traveling for miles to sacrifice something to cover over sin for just 365 days. Jesus now comes to remove, not just to hide, to remove sin for all of us, to defeat sin and death forever. I love the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 2. And you may have sung this in VBS or if you were part of a bus ministry when you were coming to, the, to church, part of Sunday school. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, for us today, here's the thing. There's bad stuff that happens to us in life. And this is the point of the one sheet this week. So, uh, there, there, but there's bad stuff that happens to us. Uh, we may have burdens that we have. We may, to use a, a, a term from Paul, we may have a, a thorn in the flesh, a thorn in the side. We may have a cross to bear. There's a difference between those three things. Nobody chooses a burden or a thorn. But God gives us the freedom to choose to pick up a cross. You see, what, what, what Jesus chose to do for us, because it was necessary to redeem us, we're now called to do in obedience to lead others to him. Jesus says of anyone, he gives us a choice. He doesn't force us to do this. He says, if you want to. If anyone wants to come after me. When Jesus says if anyone would come after me, uh, if we were to follow him in our life, in our death, and into eternity, and Jesus says, let him deny himself. That's what we talked about last week. Dying to self. This different approach to physical death, but a denying of ourself when it comes to, to what we want, whether we want what the world offers or what Jesus offers. It's that one-time surrender to him as our Savior, and it's that daily surrender to him as our Lord and as our King. Jesus says, if anyone, or to, if we are to follow him, we must deny ourselves. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. The cross, the power of salvation, but it's also this blaring, this flashing, this bright indicator on where the bearer, where the carrier is headed. Because there's no doubt if you're carrying a cross that you're headed to the end. So my question for you today is where are you headed? As you live your life today, have you taken up your cross are you carrying your cross in a manner that leaves no doubt to where you are headed? Or are you living your life today by breeding confusion? Are you adding to the chaos by proclaiming one thing with your mouth and something completely different with your life and with your actions? If those two messages from our mouth and from our life are unified, those we come into contact with will have no doubt to where we're headed. Last week we sang a song, and I love this song, and I love the lyrics of it. The words we sang last week were, if, I have, if I've got breath in my lungs, then you're not finished with me, so let my soul's salvation set another soul free. Do we mean that? when we sing it? Do we want our lives to be an indicator of where we're headed and then we want other people to follow with us? Do you mean it when we sing it or is it just lip service? 
In just a second, we're going to sing a song about what we do when we take up our cross. We carry the name of Jesus forward. And all that he stood for, all that he lived for, all that he died for, and all that he desires for the world. When we carry our cross, we're carrying his name. The lyrics that we're going to sing in just a second, I will carry your name, carry your name Jesus, your name forever, for all of my days and all of my ways, Jesus, your name forever. So I want to ask something of you. When we come to those lyrics in just a second, as our praise worshipers lead us, and we get to those words, if you don't mean it, don't sing it. Don't sing it just to make yourself look good to the person around you, to fit into the crowd. Sing it only if you mean it. Sing it only if you're willing to do what it says and to carry the name of Jesus forward. And Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To take up your cross for us means that we are living our lives in such a way that nobody doubts where we are going.